I'm really, really digging the book. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 283 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jerome Hardaway. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And we have a special guest this week, and that's Fabio Akita. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me, and uh, hello from Brazil. Uh, do you want to give us a brief introduction? I know you've been around for a while, but uh, I'm sure there are some people out there who don't know who you are. Sure, absolutely. Uh, actually, my main focus has been in the uh, building the Ruby community here in Brazil. And uh, through the years, uh, I've been in contact with several of the uh, renowned Ruby developers that we know, like Chad Fowler, uh, even Phoenix, and many people like that. And here in Brazil, I've been organizing Ruby conferences since 2007. Uh, in the beginning, it was, it was called Rails Summit because most people didn't even know what Ruby was all about here in Brazil. So once the name caught up, then I changed it to RubyConf Brazil in 2010, I believe. And I've been doing that until this year when uh, I, I did the 10th uh, uh, the 10th event here in Brazil about Ruby. Every Ruby event has been growing very very steadily, very fast. We had like 1,200 attendees this year. So it's a big community. It's been uh, growing every year. And since then, I also uh, created my own consulting company called Coldminer that was in 2011. We now have like 60 Rails developers here in Brazil doing client work for Brazilian clients as well as uh, USA clients. It, it seems a little bit ambitious to think about, okay, I'm going to build the Ruby community in my country, <laughs> especially a country as big as Brazil. So how do you go about doing that? Yes, uh, this, is, this is a very uh, common question that people ask me. And the, there's no easy answer because when I started learning about Ruby, it was through Rails. I was doing web development for a long while, so I was uh, involved as a developer in the first uh, tech startup crash uh, uh, bubble that we had in the 2000s, 2001. So I've been doing web development since, I don't know, 1997 or something. I've been a, a, a programmer, per se, since the late 80s. So I'm quite old as a programmer. So Ruby was not my first language. It was not my 10th language. So I've been learning new languages every now and then. And when I was doing very bureaucratic SAP-related programming, integrating with very bureaucratic J2EE stacks, then Ruby on Rails come along, and I see that's that's really awesome because uh, I can do something in Rails that would took me I, I don't know a month in the uh, stack I was used to, so I was immediately hooked. Uh, and then I did basic research. I was doing Rails. Um, here in Brazil, I maybe found a person or two. One of them was giving up because no one was giving, a, no one was caring. Uh, so I decided I had to opt, uh, actually three options maybe. Uh, either I give up or I move to the USA where things were actually happening. Or I could try the most difficult thing and try to do something here. And the my goal was... Um, because I saw here in Brazil, we, we have very great developers, very good developers, and uh, they pick up new technology all the time. But no one was uh, looking at uh, Ruby on Rails or, for that matter, languages such as Python because Java was so huge. 
so it was a big uh, pseudo monopoly uh, on the uh, on the uh, mind share of the developers so but at the same time we were beginning the uh, era the era of social networks of blogging and where one person with the consistency writing correctly showing how to do it and going places like uh, showing for real what what to do couldn't probably do something so uh, that's what i decided to do i wanted to do ruby i didn't want to keep going in that the same direction the market was going i didn't want to get out of brazil so um, i took matters to my own hand and i started writing a lot writing the the first rails book um, i traveled to several uh, universities and colleges to showcase uh, the Ruby language, the Rails framework, and do the sales pitching. I was even going to Java meetups to show Java guys how to do Ruby. And eventually, after a, a, a long, a, a many miles run and many talks and many blog posts, I was invited to this company called Local Web, which is the equivalent of like AWS in the US, in, the, in relatively speaking, it's one of the biggest hostings here in Brazil. And they decided that the uh, language was interesting enough for them to take a look and start to do events and maybe use internally. And that's how we bootstrap it. Uh, some of the initial uh, real cases and real events and bringing developers together and building something. So in the beginning, it was very small, but 10 years later, now, I don't know, the Ruby on Rails group that we have here in Brazil for at Facebook has, I don't know, 9,000, nearly 10,000 developers just on that group. So if somebody's in, the, in a similar boat in their country, let's say they're, you know, they, they're trying to build out a community of programmers. I mean, is this the way to go? You go out to the meetup groups for the other programming languages and such, or, you know, and then just I don't know, pull people together and have events, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I believe there's a little bit more to it than that. For example, people have to see, it's not just uh, writing good uh, texts or uh, doing the occasional speech. So the, at least for me, uh, I, was, I was convinced that in order for me to convince other people to, to believe what I'm saying, uh, I should have to do it myself. So it's not... It, it was not that I was comfortably in my, I don't know, Java consultancy talking the occasional Ruby stuff. I was, I decided to go uh, full blown and look for a remote job. I worked at that time. I had the luck to, uh, because of the blog and stuff, I, I had the luck to start working for a remote, uh, remotely for a consultancy in Utah called SurgeWorks. I don't, I believe they're still there. Uh, and then I was able to build a Brazilian team to do outsource work here, Rails related. And then we formed the one initial group really doing Ruby for a living. And at the same time, I was trying to find companies that were willing to try and then showing them how to do it, uh, uh, either as a client or myself going there I was doing a little bit of training so I did some uh, online courses way back in the day 2007 2008 something like that that helped it uh, bring more people in so the in the beginning it's really super super slow because 
uh, every meetup you try to do is uh, two or three people, maybe a group of five. Uh, it's not it's not that you're going to be able to bring a hundred people at once. So you have to do a lot of them, a lot of two three people talks uh, until you gather uh, a crowd big enough so they can do the network effect of uh, one person talking to two others and so on and so forth. So in the beginning, it's really slow until you finally reach a, a tipping point where the uh, exponential math starts to do their work and it becomes faster and the, the, then people really start to see more people using around them and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, make them so afraid of trying to use it and not waste time per se. So it was important to show real case uses of the technology. It was important for me to show myself fully committed to that every day doing uh, exactly what I was uh, pitching. Uh, so I, I believe those, and of course the patience to uh, go to somewhere far, I don't know, a, a college in another city and just find 10 people to uh, watch what you have to say. But exactly those 10 people that went there are the most important part of the crowd because they actually attended when no, nobody else was interested. And that makes, that makes them feel important about not only uh, the technology, but making, uh, making themselves uh, be part of a group that feels like we're trying to be pioneers in something. So right, right there in the beginning, 2006, 2007, that was the feeling. So Fabio, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you had written the first Ruby on Rails book in Portuguese. And according to what you wrote there, I think it said you wrote 500 pages in the course of, what was it, two months? Yes. That's Tell me about that. That sounds like a lot of work. Yes, it was. Uh, so uh, I believe I was speaking about the, the right in the beginning. Uh, I, I was not the first Ruby programmer in Brazil. There was other people that was doing Ruby here. So I never, I never want people to uh, make the misunderstanding that was the first one. So that said, uh, it was difficult to find more people doing Ruby in Brazil, I wanted to have to find a way to bring more people in. And back in the day, it was still a big thing to have a printed book uh, in paper. Otherwise, uh, colleges or professors wouldn't even take, uh, take a look. It was not common to go online to uh, online courses. We didn't have Khan Academy. We didn't have Code Academy or Code School. So it, it needed to have a printed book. And no, no publisher would publish a book about a new technology or spend the money to translate and stuff like that. So it's, and here in Brazil, English is not the primary language. So it's really difficult for a new, at least in 2006, it was difficult. Nowadays, it's much easier. Uh, I'll get to that. Um, so I was a Java developer in, in the SAP world doing Java integration with VPRPs. So I saw Rails, I fell in love, and I wanted to do that for a living. That, that was the summary. But 
then I, I did steps to make sure I, I could try to bring more people in, write a blog, do talks and stuff like that. And I wanted to write the first book because no one else would. So um, I was not at that time, I was not an expert in Ruby or Rails. So uh, I decided to, um, to do two things at once. One was really learn about Ruby and Rails, and the second was to write a book. But I didn't want to do it one at a time. I wanted to do it at the same time. So in 2006, I believe the major version was Ruby on Rails 1.0, and it was about to release 1.1. So I got the source code for 1.1, and and I decided to read read it through the source code entirely and test every single public method to make sure everything worked exactly as I was writing. So I wrote every chapter of the book is a chapter about, for example, Active Record or Action Mailer or Action View. And uh, I was actually reading the source code, running through it and writing chapter one at a time that way. So by the time I finished writing the book, I finished uh, reading and testing the source code at the same time. And then I, I could say that I knew uh, Ruby on Rails uh, exactly the way I said I knew. So I wrote probably a little bit more than 500 pages. Then I, I cut out the, uh, the uh, rough edges and wrote everything in, uh, in, uh, in Word documents. I found a publisher that was interested, a small publisher here in Brazil. And it, I did that by, I was still working at the Java consultancy. So I was, uh, during the day I was doing the consultancy. Every time I had some uh, time to spare, either at lunchtime or at night or weekends or uh, holidays. So, uh, it took me two months that way to write those 500 pages and have it uh, have it uh, delivered to the publisher for them to proofread and uh, actually edit it as a book. So that was the journey that took me two months and made me read the entire source code of Ruby on Rails back then. Wow! Holy cow! <laughs> right, <laughs> the, the the more when you look back on that time where you're multitasking. And you were um, doing all of this stuff, learning Rails, uh, writing about Rails, and doing consultancy full time, and blogging. Was that like a <laughs> was that like a difficult drain, uh, like oh my goodness, type of time for you, or were you like, yes. did you yes. have all this like creative energy flowing? Some people I've seen, and you know, it's crazy draining. And some people I've spoken to, they're like, you know, I was just on this creative flow that you know they were just so focus and enjoy them, you know, they forgot how to, they forgot when to eat and things of this nature. So I wanted to know, like, which one were you? Were you that person? And, you know, once you finished this, you were like, you know what, I'm going to take a nap for the next 40 days. <laughs> or, yeah, that, uh, that, that really happened. So back in the day, uh, nowadays, uh, just, just to put it in context, uh, now I'm approaching 40 years old. So uh, uh, I'm really, I'm really starting to feel the age. But 10 years ago, I was in my prime time at my 30s. The advantage of that is that I was, I was well trained in my 20s. And my 20s were uh, working in the late 90s for uh, the early day tech startups of the first bubble. Uh, so they, they taught me how to work 
hard, uh, how to really work hard, work through, through nights and weekends. I was so used to drink Red Bull that I believe I drank more Red Bull than water back then. And I, I, and I didn't have a lot of notion on healthy, uh, sustainable, uh, how, how to live a sustainable life because I was that kind of programmer that, that would do 12, 16 hours straight programming or doing work or doing whatever uh, I wanted to do in the computer without trying to sleep. Back then, I I saw sleeping as a waste of time. So it was a really difficult time for me. Uh, I would say that that took off probably 10 years of my lifespan already. Uh, But it was like that. So... When I, when I learned about Ruby on Rails and I wanted to make it happen, I was already at that, uh, I was already used to that kind of pace and learning fast and talking fast and not sleeping and doing uh, abusive amounts of Red Bull drinking. And that collaborated to make the uh, bootstrap of my Ruby on Rails career go much faster than if yeah, I was. And I'm I was sure, going to yeah. ask you, Fabio, after you wrote the book, what effect did you notice that had on your career? Well, uh, many variables helped my career, such as writing the book, such as doing a lot of blogging, because uh, I was really constantly writing about it and talking about it. So many companies noticed what I was doing. Local Web, as I said, was one of those. And the SurgeWorks company there in Utah was one of those. And many other developers uh, were joining in the user groups that I was uh, answering questions and the uh, online uh, Ruby on Rails courses I was doing. So it was many things at once. So many people were noticing what I was doing. And that helped materialize, for example, the uh, Ruby events that I eventually started to make because it made it easier for me to talk to more expert developers or companies mm-hmm. that would be interested. So that helped build my network on brute force. That really helped. Fabio, I, I uh, have an observation, and, and tell me if you agree with this observation or not. Sure. But if I could go back and, and tell something to myself 15 years ago, um, I would say people, developers who teach, like teach publicly in whatever form that might be, um, have a ton more opportunities open up to them. So that's one thing. And then the second part is you shouldn't feel like you have to be a super duper expert before you start sharing your knowledge. Would you agree with those things? I absolutely agree with that. And exactly because uh, right in the beginning, for example, if we take Crystal, Crystal is what, 0.18 version. So it's not even 1.0. So only the creator of Crystal can say that he has a senior experience in Crystal because he wrote it, but no one else can claim that. So someone, someone has to start has to understand how it works, has to really test it in real case uh, scenarios to become an expert. So uh, it's not, you, you can't be the senior crystal developer right now. That would be preposterous. And back then in Brazil, uh, I, I never felt myself uh, undervalued because I was a senior Java developer and now I was a rookie 
Ruby wannabe developer trying to do Rails. Uh, because in my mind, I, I already knew in my mind that that didn't matter. The only thing that mattered to me was that it was exciting new technology that made me feel good by learning it and even better because more people was taking advantage of it and feeling the same way. So uh, helping myself uh, in learning the new technology was also helping other companies and other other people at this and we were all learning at the same time. So uh, I never I never compare myself in terms of uh, skill level or knowledge level. I just like the opportunity to uh, tap into new technology that makes sense, that solves real problems, and that can make something that takes a month, uh, take a day or two with better quality, more enjoyable code. I think that's the most important part to me as a software developer. Uh, and, that, and that part was really, really exciting in 2006, 2007, because we had this surge of new things, especially because Ruby on Rails, maybe, and uh, I was right in the middle of all of, it, all of that. So it didn't matter if was, I was not sleeping or I was uh, not having holidays properly, and maybe even my health was not very good at, uh, at the time. I have a quick question. So here's another... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead, Chuck. So, so I'm just... Because this kind of takes me into another thing that I'm wondering about now is that um, I keep hearing that Ruby's on the decline, and I don't know if I completely buy into that or not. Um, I, I don't think it's gaining in popularity as quickly as some other technologies. But um, you, you talk about kind of the early days of Ruby, and that's kind of when you got in, is when it was still hot and fast and moving and, and exciting. Um, are there technologies that you feel like people are gravitating to now that are in the same boat? Or should people stick with Ruby now that it's kind of tried and true and slowed down and maybe a little bit boring? Sure. Uh to me, Ruby is still exciting because it's not because it's new or because it uh, is bigger or something like that. Uh, what what interests me is the kind of code that I can write. So it doesn't matter if a language is brand new and it forces me to write a brittle code or a code that I, I, I see and I don't like it. So there are many great languages that are objectively good but I personally don't really empathize or uh, I feel like a step back. For example, it's not bad mouthing, but, and I, I, I like new technology, so many, uh, with many uh, disclaimers up front. But for example, Go. Go is a great language. I like it. I, I like to use it, but it's not something that I really enjoy using the same way I enjoy writing Ruby code. So, if something does not need the performance or the scalability uh, and I have to choose, I would probably still write in Ruby. Or even JavaScript that has a lot of controversy, and I'm not one of those JavaScript haters. I like to criticize it, but I don't dislike it. So there's a big difference. So I, I can write it, I understand it, but I, again, don't feel the same joy as writing Ruby. Elixir is one of the languages that, because Joseph Alin is a very smart guy and he's uh, an ex-Ruby developer himself, so obviously many of the things that he enjoyed about Ruby, he transferred over to the Erlang world in the Elixir form, so it feels more like Ruby, even though it's on a different heritage because Ruby is more on the small talk plus list. 
uh, Elixir's Erlang plus Ruby. It's a different uh, brand. But so all of those new languages, even Swift, even uh, I don't know Elm and languages like that, they all have their appeal. Uh, myself as a Rubyist, I still like Ruby, but I will not discard those languages because I have I, I don't like having to choose between one of the one language or another. So I, I'm not I'm not I'm never gonna be one of the switchers. So I have to completely discard my Ruby enjoyment to do some other language. But I will not think twice if I have a good Ruby on Rails application in need, for example, of real-time chatting. And I can easily do that part on Go or Elixir. I will probably do that. The same way uh, when I was right in the beginning when we were doing Ruby on Rails and we wanted to do full-text search, uh, someone wrote a Lucene a clone uh, in Ruby. It was not good. It was really bad. But someone wanted to have the Lucene library written in Ruby. That was uh, when I saw that. I saw like uh, you don't have to do that. Instead, why don't just use Solar and integrate uh, Solar with Rails instead? That was 2007, something like that. Nowadays, it's pretty common for us to uh, connect to Elasticsearch or to other services, and it doesn't have to be written in Ruby. So for the web applications that we know how to build that make several great businesses, uh, I don't know, like uh, Twitter or like Facebook or like uh, Groupon and stuff like that, we can absolutely, and I prefer to use Ruby on Rails, and for the specific part and specific needs, I will definitely use the new technology to my advantage to uh, you, for performance or for scalability or for better architecture in specific parts. So I want to be the kind of developer that understands the cost and benefit of using one platform or technology over the other because that's exactly my day-to-day -day business. I never, I'm never going to say to my client, rewrite everything in Elixir because it's the new thing or rewrite everything in Scala because it has more performance. It doesn't make any sense. Is this is just consultancy strategy to sell more uh, expensive billable hours? Instead, I will say this is the best. Uh, this is the best we can do with your budget. This is the result. The best result we can get using what you already have, integrating small pieces of new stuff. And I'm I'm going to disclaim all the risks. And that's how you make a best of breed uh, good product or good solution. So I don't like, and that's exactly the point uh, I've been always evangelizing through the years in Brazil of not not labeling yourself as a language because it doesn't make any sense. We're all software developers. Software developers don't have just one language. We must have uh, a toolbox of several tools. Some of those tools we will like more. So I, I still like Ruby more, but I know I know exactly where the where the weaknesses are and what other technologies can help fill the gap. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. So uh, this, this feels like a consultancy cliche, but it really depends on the circumstances of what project you have, what you want to achieve, and what you, at the same time, what you enjoy 
uh, working as a programmer because uh, if you don't like what you're doing, it doesn't matter uh, if it's super fast or super scalable or stuff like that. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues podcast. Hey, Fabio, have you ever used a language or framework outside of Ruby and Rails that really like changed your way of thinking so that when you came back to Ruby and Rails, you, you wrote things differently after that point? I believe yes. Uh, it, there's even, there's even, I think I even blogged recently uh, a small thing. So it, I was doing an exercise uh, with Ruby, I don't know, a year ago. I was just just for my own uh, amusement, I, there's, there's other stuff I like other than programming. For example, I really enjoy reading manga and watching anime. So I'm really one of those otaku guys. Uh, and there's a website that I go every now and then to read manga. So I, instead of going there, I had a Kindle. Well, this, the problem I had, I wanted to have the, those mangas that were scanned there on my Kindle. So I just wrote a Ruby crawler that would go to that website and generate a PDF and I could have that on my Kindle. An easy problem that has an easy solution. I just grabbed Ruby, added a few jams and wrote the script. But the, the interesting point is that at, a year ago, I was one of those Ruby developers concerned about Ruby scalability, Ruby performance. And what that made me do was uh, prematurely optimize that small exercise. It didn't have to have performance. It didn't have to have super scalability. It was just a small script for personal use. But I was so uh, concerned because I was reading so many blog posts about how we should make Ruby more performant and things like that, that I wrote a super convoluted script using a gem called Typhos uh, that had a synchronous uh, downloading that I could write through threading. And so my, my code was a mess. It was really, really, really uh, a damn mess. And what happened is that it was difficult to maintain. It was difficult to use. I ended up uh, archiving that in my uh, GitHub account, forgot about it. And then I started learning Elixir because everybody was talking about Elixir. And then I did one of those uh, immersions like I, uh, in a smaller scale, I didn't write a book this time, but I decided to dive right into it. And spend, I, I, I set in my mind a timeline of 30 days to learn everything that has to be learn about Elixir and the Erlang OTP stuff. So I read everything and on the, I didn't write a book, but it generated, I, I believe, 11 blog posts in my blog uh, last year 
that was my journey learning Elixir. So I really learned it. And as a final exercise, I remembered about that convoluted script. And I decided to rewrite it in Elixir to see what the difference would be. And I believe it was not great Elixir code because it was one of my first codes that I wrote. But it made a lot more sense. Um, it, it drove me into, into an architecture that I kind of like it. And then it was so fun that I decided to uh, learn about Crystal because someone mentioned it and I heard about Crystal, but I never took the time to really learn it. So I, I said, heck, so I was just learning Elixir. Let's learn Crystal because it should what be is much Crystal? easier. So Crystal is a new language. It is very Ruby-like. Uh, it's not... It's not it's not their goal to be Ruby compatible. This is very important because it has type safety. Uh, you don't have to annotate everything, so it can uh, there, it can guess the types uh, through the code. But sometimes you have to annotate it. So it, you, sometimes you can just get a Ruby code, copy and paste, and it's gonna compile. Uh, it, it uses LLVM under the hoods, and it's gonna compile the that Ruby-like code into native binary code, and it's depending on what you're doing, it's going to be really competitive with something like Go. So it's going to generate a, a very small, very fast binary, and the source code is almost Ruby. The, the way you structure the code, the way you write it, the way you require libraries, require it, they don't have gems, they have shards, but it's almost the same thing. And so you can you can really write Ruby code that compiles to binary. The some of the contributors wrote from Turkey. He wrote uh, a web framework called Kemal that feels almost like a tiny version of Sinatra. So if you're doing APIs for uh, microservices that need to be very fast and you don't want to let go of Ruby, you can write a almost Sinatra-like application and compile it down to a binary that works uh, almost exactly like if you wrote it in Go. So this is Crystal in a nutshell. So Fabio, when you're building a new project um, and you're choosing which technologies to build it in, there's in my mind kind of a couple sets of considerations. One is the purely technical considerations, like how good of a fit is this language or framework for the kind of application I want to build. And the other side of it is how big is the community for this language or framework? How easy is it going to be to find developers to hire? Who, you know, if you're starting a startup or something like that and you're thinking about the team and that kind of thing. Um, so if you have even a language that's like the best fit in the world, but you can't find anybody to program in it, then that might be a, a strike against going in that direction. So how do you think about that stuff when you're doing projects and picking technologies to build stuff in? Sure. Uh, let me, let me just finish my, uh, previous thought and then I believe it's going to be a good hook to answer this one. Okay. So I was just talking about the crystal part. And the important part is that I wrote that script in Elixir, then I learned about Crystal and rewrote the, the Elixir version in Crystal. And it, as it turns out, the, as I said, Crystal is very Ruby-like. So I wrote Ruby code 
that resembled my Elixir exercise. And that Ruby code that I wrote in Crystal, then I ported it again as Ruby and ran an MRI. And I compared the first convoluted version I mentioned to this new version that was using almost just standard uh, standard libraries from Ruby and was much better and perhaps better performance than the first version that I wrote in Ruby. That was the the entire journey. So the the lesson I learned about premature optimization is that we are so focused on writing something that has really big performance and stuff like that that the Ruby code, even the Ruby code that we write at the first time becomes a mess because we're so worried about that. And on the other hand, when I went through two other languages and that drove me back to the same exercise, and it made me write really better Ruby code. So that was the lesson I learned learning the other languages. Uh, I, think, I believe one of, one of you asked it, what I took out of the, uh, the those new languages. And one of the lessons is that I can write really good Ruby code that performs well and reads well, and it's really uh, the whole, whole purpose of using Ruby in the first place, not writing uh, hardware, low-level, super-performance code. And I think we can write good Ruby code without having to worry about all the time, at least. We can. We need to worry, but not all the time, about writing scale, uh, scalable performance uh all the way down. And when you, when I talk to startups and tech startups about their choices to uh, use new languages and then their difficulties in hiring and and all those uh, quirks, there there are there are two things to consider. If if you have the the budget or the investment and you have the time. Most people don't, most tech startups usually don't have a lot of time because they want to deliver something really fast. Uh, it really depends on who's founded the company, who's the CTO, how good he is, because he's, he, he's going to need to lead the development and he's going to decide on, on he's going to be the factor that decides the, the productivity of the team he's building. So if, if, the company or this person is not so confident on that skill set, it's better for him to probably use something that's more, uh, that he's more used to. For example, if he is a PHP developer, he doesn't need to, to not use PHP because it's a tech startup to, uh, and then have to use Ruby or JavaScript or Python and have the super big risk of the learning curve, not knowing where to hire, not knowing what the better practices are and everything, uh, and adding that many risks to uh, an already risky situation that is the inception of a new tech startup. So he can, I believe one of, one of the things that most developers don't have in mind is that they can uh, trash code. So you can write code and release it and then erase that code in the future and write something new in its place when it's a good time to do that. But you don't even know if you're going to survive the next month or two. So this is probably not the best time to learn Erlang and then uh, write the first new version in Erlang without even knowing what to do next. So my recommendation when I see uh, that the team is not very confident is to not 
worry and not feel bad to use the technologies they know. And uh, because most developers actually start to feel so bad that they are not using the new stuff, that it hurts them in their development, their decision. So this is the first, this is one scenario. The other scenario is where you are a confident developer. You are one of those that like to learn new languages, and you are you probably already know uh, did exercise in Haskell or F Sharp, or you are you use you usually use Emacs and hack into Elisp, and so you you one of those, and you want to hire the best developers. And how do you filter out those best developers? So one company here in Brazil called Nubank, uh, it's, one, uh, it's one tech startup that's doing credit cards without a uh, physical bank. So it's one of those fintech e-banks that's uh, coming up. They decided to use Clojure uh, because of the Atomic as the that data source for transactions and immutable transactions and Clojure as the backend language. And I believe they're even using Elm in the front end. And they did it uh, on purpose exactly because they wanted to find the kind of developer that would like to use technology that's so, uh, quote, unquote, obscure here in Brazil, such as Clojure or Lisp-like languages. So they they use that as the uh, as the, uh, the, the real point to to find a good developer. So they're using the technology to find a good developer. This is one strategy. So they have a good investment and they have uh, a really, really remarkable initial tech team that really knows their stuff and that helped them find more people like them. So the, those are two different strategies that you can use technology uh as a bridge to fulfill what you need. I think those are two aspects. Hey, do you need a sanity check on your code? Make sure all the tests are passing. Make sure all the static assets compile. You know, all the normal things that you need to do to make sure that your application is ready for production. Then you need continuous integration. And I recommend Snap CI. SnapCI is a product put together by our friends at ThoughtWorks, and it works great to pull all of your information together about your application, make sure it's ready for production, let your team know if it fails, and overall, just make your life easier. So go check them out at snapci.com. We're kind of getting close to the end of the time. And one thing I wanted to ask about before we wrap up is uh, RubyConf Brazil, you announced that you are retiring from the conference. And so I was yes. if you wanted to talk about that for about uh, three minutes, and then we'll get to the next. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the, I, wrote, I just wrote a blog post about that. I believe that was the, uh, the whole... Uh, the starting of this conversation and this is probably one example of how a blog post can start a good conversation with people we, that never met so we never met before and we're now here having this good conversation and that was because of blog post because of the events and RubyConf Brazil it started as a Ruby, a Ruby conference but since the very beginning, because Ruby was not my first language, I was already doing, uh, I already did several projects in several languages. So I, I really appreciate what those other languages brought to my career and my uh, experience. So uh, I knew that every new language and every new community likes, it likes to use the easier strategy. The easy strategy is to compare the new language to the older language. So it was so easy to say, 
Ruby is so much better than Java because Java is so bureaucratic or old or cumbersome or whatever. And Ruby is the new sleek language that can do DSLs and metaprogramming. So this is, this is the wrong way to do evangelization. So I don't do that. I never did that. And I actually wrote slides saying that no one should do that. And I, I did that precisely because I knew that every 10 years at least, new things come around and someday Ruby would be the one that would be on the other side of the fence and uh, someone on the new community of languages would say, don't use Ruby because it's either slow or it's old or it's something like that. And the cycle would repeat itself. So I wanted to break that since the beginning. And here, at least here in Brazil, I hope most of the developers that in this Ruby community don't use that argument when they choose Ruby. They choose Ruby because they like the aesthetics, they like the community, they like the ecosystem, they like what the ecosystem has to offer and the solutions that they can build. So we focus on those. So the Ruby conference, uh, the, its its role in the community was to show exactly what you could do with Ruby, what kind of developer you could be, what were the practices that we appreciate as programmers, such as test-driven development, uh, the agile te the techniques, and how to write beautiful, maintainable code. And at the same time, I wanted to bring already in the beginning new stuff in before they were even uh, before they were even considered hip or new. So Jose Valin, for example, is in the Ruby community since the beginning here in Brazil. He, he talked a lot about Ruby when he was Rails core. When he started to learn uh, Erlang and write the initial versions of, er of Elixir, he presented those uh, earlier versions at our Ruby conference in 2011 or 2012, way before um, everybody knew about Elixir. He did that every year. And that was true for many other languages, for other platforms. So we had mobile development with Objective-C, Ruby plus other languages or new, lang new platforms. Right from the beginning, we adopted Node.js not as uh, something to fear or as a competitor, but something that we should learn from. And so Ruby conference in Brazil, in a nutshell, was Ruby developers that really like Ruby, but at the same time, we were not close to other uh, technologies. And I made that official last year in 2015 when uh, I... I I had tracks dedicated to other languages, such as Elixir, such as Clojure, such as Go and JavaScript inside a RubyConf. Uh, I did that last year. I did it this. I did. It, I did it this year. And what I also wanted in my in my head since the beginning, I I I told um, I told myself that I wanted to do ten events, uh, ten years, one decade. Not, not because I'm superstitious, but because it's a good round number. And if not now, then when? When would I stop? Would I stop when Ruby was really in an obvious decline and then I would have to be the last one to switch off the lights? I didn't want to do that. Instead, I wanted to use the opportunity to make a point. And the point is that I, I am a Ruby developer. I love, I love Ruby. I enjoy writing Ruby. I will keep writing Ruby 
for many, many years, but I will not restrain myself of learning and using new languages. And I don't like to be labeled the Ruby guy that's using the other language. I, I'm, I want to be known as a software developer that likes good code and that uses Ruby to showcase how to do proper agile development with good maintainable code. And Ruby helps a lot with that. But at the same time, we can learn from other platforms, and not only in uh, demagogic ways like, oh, you have to learn a new language to become better, but to actually use it in my personal projects, in my client projects, and not be uh, restrained by the limitations of what the people uh, judge me to be. So, and and the the idea to Brazilians were you don't have to be the Java guy. You don't need to be the JavaScript guy. You don't have to have this competition between two different communities. We should be one community of software developers. And I think that's the message. Uh, Gaios Balket wrote about this, uh, and I agree with his view that Ruby is not a person, Ruby is not a label, it's not a banner. Ruby is about the harmony of combining different uh, styles and different technologies into a, a cohesive solution that, ex that is expressed in enjoyable code. I think this is the gist of what Ruby really is and what being a Rubyist is. So I, I wrap up the RubyConf Brazil with that message to the Brazilian community, uh, hoping that it would resonate with other communities around the world as well, if at all possible. And if uh, that helps other communities, I believe I did my small part, uh, and I'm, I would be happy with that. That's really interesting, and, and I think it's, uh, it's an important thing for everybody to learn is that, yeah, it's not, it's not about Ruby, it's about what we can do with Ruby and, and the power that we, we get from you know, whatever it is that we're using. Exactly. All right. Well, um, we're under a little bit of a time crunch, so I'm going to push us into picks. Um, Jason, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure thing. So the first thing I'm going to pick is something called Toastmasters International, which is something that people might have heard of. It's an organization that helps people practice their communication skills, specifically their speaking skills. I joined it originally because I was terrible at expressing my thoughts in meetings at work. And so it helped me with that a lot. And it also helped me to do things like give presentations at local meetups without being nervous. And being a part of Toastmasters helped me hugely. Um, and pretty much no matter where you are in the world, there's probably a Toastmasters club near you. So check that out if you're interested in improving your speaking skills. Two other quick picks. One is one that I'm sure other people have picked before on this show, but it's it's a really good one. Um, Clean Code, the book Clean Code. And then the last pick that I'll pick is a non-technical book that I'm listening to on audio for the second time, and it's just a total mind-blower. This book called Zen and the Art of Maintenance. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what the book is about, um, but I just know that it's really, uh, it's just totally blowing my mind. So check it out. Yeah. Plus one for uh, Toastmasters International. Um, I go to a local club here and I, I love it. Uh -huh. Tom, what are your picks? Oh, Roger that. Uh, my two picks are from two really cool companies that, uh, while I was out at Dreamforce, I'm doing company tours with one of our veterans, uh, last week. 
uh, I found these really cool Ruby shops and Ruby products out there that you know, they just, I love what they do and I, and I wanted to share them. So my first pick is uh, Figma. It's literally a brand new uh, startup. They haven't even been doing any like advertising or anything like that. It's, as you guys know, I started out in uh, design, front-end web development, front-end web design before I moved full stack. And seeing their collaborative interface design tool that they were building just literally blew my mind. It was just amazing. And to be able to like actually go into their office and play and with the product and see a little bit of what they were working on and their mission on how to make design a truly collaborative experience for the user and the uh, for the users and developers, the person who's buying, um, just trying to get them to build the product. It was just really, uh, really, really cool. So that's my first pick. And uh, my second pick is uh, IFT, I-F-T-T-T. And the company's been around a little bit longer. They also gave us a really cool tour, and they're also a Ruby shop. We had the experience of being able to see what they do and the, you know, the mission of why they want to give people more creative control on how they use their apps and how they combine usage of their apps. And it was really amazing. And also going to a startup that's doing a uh, indoor barbecue was literally the most insane thing I've seen in my life. So those are definitely my two top picks. And for a non, uh, for a, I, I guess for my book pick, a really great book that I uh, want to recommend to uh, developers, regardless of whether you guys are going to be uh, – web developers, iOS, if you just want to become a great developer and hopefully want to be a great leader. How to Build a Billion Dollar App uh, is one of the books that I've recently read that I really, really enjoy. And it puts things in perspective regardless of what path you're going to take in development or um, leadership when it comes to software companies. Uh, but those are my picks, Charles. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to throw a few picks out there. Um, I, I kind of want to get Fabio back on because uh, I wrote a whole bunch of his blog posts. Um, his blog is Akita at, on Rails. Let me say that again, AkitaOnRails.com. And uh, he talks a lot about some of the tools that he's using in his consultancy and things like that. And I thought that a lot of the things that he was talking about there were really interesting as far as how they select tools. And I really liked how fearless uh, he and his company have been about switching to tools that give them what they need. And uh, that's something that I need to do better at with the things that I do. So anyway, um, go check out uh, Fabio's blog. And the other pick I have is a book that I've been reading. Um, I just finished it and started it over. It's that good. Um, it's called The 12-Week Year. And it is basically a productivity uh, book. It talks about the the essential premise is is that a lot of people do annual planning, so they plan. Okay, what are we going to do in 2017? We're recording this uh, in October 2016. So um, right now is when I start thinking about that kind of thing. And what they say is is that if you're planning out for a year, what happens is in Jan at the end of January you'll realize you're a little bit behind, but hey, you still have 11 months. March you realize you're so you're a little bit further behind, but hey, you still have nine months, and then. October, November hit, and you're like, oh, I only have two months, and then you get everything done. And so what they say is instead of planning out for a year, plan out for 12 weeks and make that your year, 
And that way you can sit down and you can say, okay, in order to accomplish what I need to accomplish in these 12 weeks, I need to get this done the first week and this done the second week and this done the third week. And you can accomplish those things and then move ahead in the ways that you need to for your business or life or team or whatever. And I think it applies very nicely, not only to personal lives or businesses, but also to development teams. And in fact, I'm, I'm starting to formulate a little bit of a talk based on this for development teams that kind of um, bolts onto the top of Agile and gives you a little bit higher level view of what's going on. So anyway, um, I'm really, really digging the book. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, so I'm going to pick it. It's by Brian Moran and some other guy that I don't remember his name. Uh, Fabio, what are your picks? Okay, so some of my picks are probably already some, uh, it's cliche, but if there are new developers, I think it's important. So the first pick is one book that I always recommend to new developers. It's called The Mythical Man Month by Fred Brooks. Oh, classic. Because it's a real classic. I read it every now, uh, every 10 years at least, I have to reread it. And uh, every single problem that everyone's blogging about, the silver bullet, rewriting software, it's all written in this book and it's uncanny how many of the problems that we have are not new. It was uh, everybody developing software since the 1960s probably went through all of those. It's a good reminder that we are not the first ones to have some category of problems. So I really recommend the Medical Man Month. Uh, as a different pick that not, that's not focused entirely on the programming, uh, I would like to recommend a TV show. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Sure. So again, there there are there are two series that I would like to recommend. That's called Cosmos. If you never uh, watch it, both the old version from Carl Sagan and the new version of Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I think this is important because exactly one of the uh, one of the topics that I always write about and I always talk about. Uh, in conference and places like that is about critical thinking and the entire discussion we're having nowadays is new languages, what should I learn and all the arguments. Uh, most of the arguments are usually not objective. Are, they are very, very uh, badly uh, argued. And I think we lack more critical thinking. We lack more rationalization more uh, scientific method in what we do because we're software developers. Most of us are from the computer science field and I really don't see as much of the science part that, uh, in our discussions. And I, I think this, um, TV shows like that help us, help inspires us on doing more uh, research. And I think those are my two main picks. If I can just give one very quick uh, tech pick for stuff that I use every day. Everybody likes to uh, hack their doc files, and there are tons of them. And one one that I really like is called Yadir. It's Y-A-D-R, you can find it on GitHub. And I like this one because it configures everything for me and I don't have to hack it ever. So uh, I just git clone it, install it, and it's done. If you use Vim, if you use Z Shell, uh, if you like to uh, use you have you, you like to have a proper kit and stuff like that. This is going to configure everything with all my plugins that I like. So this is a quick tip to configure your development environment. All right. Uh, if people want to follow up with you, see what you're doing, um, anything like that, what should they do? 
Sure. Uh, I'm always on Twitter at Akira on Rails, so you can just follow me on Twitter. And I, I'm always sharing all of these uh, subjects that we're talking about in my Facebook page as well. So you go to Fabio Akita or just facebook.com slash Akita on Rails. And as you mentioned, AkitaOnRails.com is my blog where I write more extensive texts. So those are the primary sources uh, of information that I share. All right. Well, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch everyone next week. Okay. Thank you for having me.